0: Uh, One of the kind of first things I remember discovering about myself when I was a kid, you know, you're growing up and you learn the things that make you tick. You learn the things that kind of make you you. One of the things that I I learned about my personality when I was very young is that I have a deep affection for a good practical joke. Like I... I, Love pranks, it is like in the core of God, hardwired me that way. Some of you disagree. you hate that about me. I get it it 's one of the things that I love and I remember when I went to college, all of a sudden, I kind of found myself living in this kind of like little moment of heaven on heaven on earth. I was in a dorm with a bunch of other guys, many of whom shared that same affection that we had too much time, not enough responsibility and we 'd find ourselves late at night. This is a pretty common reality where we'd be sitting up in the dorm going, who can we mess with? Like for the glory of God and the good of Jesus. Like what, <laughs> what, what, what can we do? What jokes can we pull? And so we'd find ourselves just kind of like dreaming up pranks. What are, what are, what are we going to do? And it was amazing because we began to discover what a lot of us have discovered is that there is real power in community. That there is, there is something that can be accomplished when Different people from different places come together with a common heart and a common mind and a common direction. You can do things together that you can never do alone, right? And I remember for years just discovering the joys of this. As this group of guys, we'd just go pull pranks and and mess with people. It was just this thing that would happen in the context of community. You see this in nature all the time, right? One snowflake. One snowflake is nothing by itself. Falls down, it hits your hand, it instantly melts. But a billion snowflakes together will shut down a city. Or one ant can carry a breadcrumb a bread on its back, which is pretty amazing when you think just about how much weight that is. But a huge group of ants could literally lift a small car together. I mean, this amazing feat of strength when they come together and they work together. You see this in nature. You see this in relationships. You see this all the time that there is this power in the context of community that does not exist when we live in isolation, That there is this power that comes when I trade in my me-centered way of living for a we-centered reality of life. That something happens when I go, when we do this together, things change. And I love this about Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing this letter to this little community, this church in this ancient city called Ephesus. And he's reminding them that there are certain things in the kingdom of God that cannot be experienced alone. That one Christian... One disciple by themselves can make a difference. One disciple by themselves can bless their workplace. One disciple by themselves can encourage the home. But a community of like-minded, diverse people filled with the Spirit of God, committed to the purpose of God, could change the world. And Paul says there is a form of Christianity that is impossible, that is impossible to experience if your only way of experiencing it is by listening to a podcast or having your quiet time or being by yourself Solitude is an amazing thing. But solitude that is not connected to biblical community leaves us short of what it is that God has made us for. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's going to write to this little church and he's going to remind them of the power that comes with discipleship in community for the purpose of mission in the world. So Ephesians 2, we're going to start in verse 8 together. And I love, I love where he picks up in this letter. He says, it is for by it is." For by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. Paul says, listen, we're getting ready to dream up some great things together as a community. He says, but before we dream of a bunch of things, he says, you've got to remember that all of this starts in grace. Can you just do me a favor? Can you look at the person beside you right now? And no, this is cheesy. Look at them and say, you're only here because of grace. Look at the person next to you. Turn to the person on the other side of you if you have someone. You're only here because of grace. Like you are not here because you're so nice or good looking. You're not here because your parents raised you in church, although that was helpful. You're not here because you're Southern. And this is what Southern people do on Sunday mornings. We are here by the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, that we don't earn our way into into this place. We don't earn our way into the goodness of God, that God is good, and God is kind, and despite who we are, God is welcome to sin. Does that make sense? Shake your head if that makes sense. Paul says what we're getting ready to talk about is built upon the foundation of grace. This is the verse that we're going to dig into this morning. It'll kind of be our framework, verse 10. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'll read that again. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Or some of your Bibles say his craftsmanship or his masterpiece. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this is what I want us to talk about this morning in regards to discipleship and mission. I want us to think about the power of following Jesus together. The power of being a we. And I love this because Paul looks at this church and he says, he says, we... He says, "We." He says, "We are God's handiwork. We're, we're God's workmanship." And I think this is important for us to stop here for a minute, because what He said and what we hear are often two different things. Have you ever noticed this before? But sometimes there's this big gap between what someone says and what you hear. I experienced this in my marriage. Sydney can testify to this all the time. She will say one thing, and what I hear is totally different. She'll say, hey, can you get up and help me finish the laundry? And what I hear is, can you sit there for five more minutes and finish watching the game? Or or, or she'll look at me, she says, I'm tired. And what I hear is, hey, do you want to make out? You know, and sometimes (laughs) what she says and what I hear are like two different things. Come back to me, come back to me. (laughs) What she says and what I hear are worlds apart sometimes. And sometimes we hear these scriptures, we read these scriptures, but what we actually hear is different. Paul says, we are God's handiwork, and what we hear is, I am God's handiwork. What Paul says is, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And what we hear is, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. And the way we hear what Paul is saying totally changes what it is that we posture our hearts for in life. When we hear that I am God's handiwork created to do great things, I spend my whole life looking for God's will for me, as opposed to spending my whole life looking for God's will and asking him how we get to accomplish it. Does that make sense? Two totally different things. And I do believe it's true that you are God's handiwork and that you were created in Christ Jesus and that God has amazing things for you to do. But that's not what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2. He says there are some things in life, there are some things in the kingdom of God that are only experienced when we exchange our understanding of me-centered living for an understanding of we-centered life in Christ. When we say there are certain things that can only be accomplished in the kingdom when we link arms and say, God, let's figure out how to do this together. So Paul looks at him and he says, he says, he says, we are God's handiwork. And I, I want to just answer this question for a minute. Who are the we that he's talking to? He's talking to this diverse group of men and women from all over the city of Ephesus that had one thing in common. It wasn't their age or their race or their background. It wasn't what they liked to do on the weekends. Their common point of interest was the undeserved, unexplainable saving grace of Jesus Christ that was exhibited towards them. Their common bond was that they had been on the receiving end of God's gracious saving work. That was the thing that turned them from a group of me's into a we. Is that God had done something. I think about this moment, uh, October 4th, 1980, this luxury cruise ship named the Pristendom had set out from Seattle, Washington. It was going to be a month-long uh, journey, 524 passengers. They were going to kind of cruise around uh, the uh, Alaskan Gulf, and then they were going to cross over the Pacific and come back. It was quite this voyage that they were going to go on. About a week into their journey, in the middle of the night, a little bit after midnight, uh, the boat caught on fire, and the captain had to, to make a call that no captain ever wants to make. He says, the ship is going down. We need help. The reason you don't know the story of the Christendom like we do the Titanic, they're very similar stories. The reason we don't know the story is because that night, not a single person died. Not only was every person rescued, no one was even injured in the rescuing process, which is an amazing thing. 524 people saved by the heroic efforts of this Coast Guard group that responded to the call. This past fall, October 4th, 2015, exactly 35 years later to the day, the people who were rescued by the heroic men and women of the Coast Guard back on October 4th, 1980, showed up in Seattle for a huge memorial, for a huge celebration to honor the lives of the ones that had put their necks on the line so they could be rescued. And I loved listening to that story. Like You can go on, you can read stories about it. It's this amazing story. This group of people came together, and their only common connection was the heroic saving work of somebody else. And they go, man, here we are in this place. And we're here not because we like the same things, because we grew up in the same place. We are here because we have been on the receiving end of somebody else's grace. And I go, have you ever thought about that when you walk into this place on a Sunday morning and you look around, you, you look at the faces of these people here, and go, the thing that turns us from me-centered living to a we-centered reality. It's not that we share the same hobbies or the same skin color or the same race or the same age or live in the same neighborhoods, although some of that is true. The thing that turns us from a group of me's into a group of we's is the saving work of Christ. And we come in and go, man, God has done something. And every week we show up to graciously honor the saving work of the one that put his neck on the line all those years ago. And I love this picture. Paul says this thing that we're talking about he says, this is he says, we have become a we, a group of people. He said, and this group of people, look back at verse ten, is God's handiwork or his masterpiece. I don't know if you think about that when you walk into this room. But when's the last time you walked in here and went, Man, this is the work of God? It is the work of God that we get to be in here together. It is the work of God that God would draw us together in Christ, that we could come and be together in God's presence. He said, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. And when you see people who gather to praise and worship Jesus, to to honor Christ, what you're seeing is the masterpiece of God's hands. And he says, and we have something good to do together. He says, there's good work For the church to do together as we live in community. And so, in the next five or six weeks, we're gonna talk about some of the real down to the ground implications of that work. But this morning, I want us to get our minds around just the magnitude of this work that God invites us to do together. Paul's just going to call it good work, but throughout the the letter to the Ephesians, he's going to talk about this good work in some monumental ways. You know, when when you talk about your work, when someone shows up uh, on a Sunday and says, hey, what do you do for a job, Kyle? Kyle, you could tell me what you do for a job. And there's all sorts of ways you could talk about your work, right? You could talk about the the big purpose of your work, or you could talk about all the day-to-day tasks of your work, or you could talk about the realms in which you do that work. Like I remember when I was in high school, my very first job I ever had Um, I worked at this sign company, and our job at the sign company was very simple. It was to make, sell, and install signs around companies in Charleston. That wasn't our mission statement, but it should have been our mission statement. Make, sell, and install signs. It's all we existed for. So my job at that company was to lead a team of people in the making, selling, and installation of these signs. And when someone would ask me about my work, there's a lot of ways that I could describe it. I could talk about the big goal. I could talk about all the little tasks. Or I could also talk about the realm in which we did that work. So, for example, in my first job, that, that work of making, selling, and installing signs took place in three different realms. Uh, we, we had work that we did online. We had work that we did in our store. And we had work that we did in the city. So every day we'd come in, and that team, we'd get online, and we'd try to make sa- sales, and we'd connect with customers, and, and we would interact in that realm. Our work took place in that realm together. Still making, still selling, still installing. A second realm was actually in our office space. And so that was the space where we'd actually make the signs. We'd create them. We'd design them. We'd craft them. That was the second realm that we were invited into. But there was a third realm that was actually out in the city where we would go out to the the actual storefront and we would hang the sign. And we would do the work of installing. It was the same job. It was the same thing, different tasks in different realms. And Paul is going to talk about the work of the church in the book of Ephesians through all of those different lens. He's going to say, listen, we, the people of God, saved by grace, brought together in Jesus, we, the people of God, have been created to do good work. And he's going to use that good work to talk about the advancement of God's glory, the advancement of God's love, the advancement of God's ways into every nook and cranny of our culture. And he's going to say, you can do that in a variety of ways. But one of the things that I love about in the book of Ephesians is Paul doesn't just talk about what the work is. He begins to tell us where that work takes place. And this morning, I just want us to think about this for a minute, where it is that God is inviting us as a church to engage. Because as you think about where it is, I believe it, it elevates this need for Christian community. And so one of the things that Paul talks about in the book of Ephesians, he says... We, this community, God's handiwork, we've been created to do good work. And throughout the book, he defines where this good work takes place. If you take notes, I just want you to notice these three areas. The first is, he says, there is good work that takes place in the up there realm. In the up there realm, which this sounds crazy, so hang with me for just a minute, okay? All throughout the Bible, the Bible says that we live in a world that is just marked with things that we can't see that we live in a world where there are angels and there are demons there are spiritual forces at work that are hard to get our minds around i know most of us didn't wake up this morning thinking about the spiritual realm but as you read through the bible you just can't get away from it there is a world that exists that very much affects the way that we live our lives and a lot of times in the book of Ephesians and throughout the Bible, when Paul talks about this, he talks about that being the realm that's up there. He talks about uh, spiritual powers and principalities and authorities of the air. That's one of the ways that the biblical writers talked about spiritual warfare. A guy named Isaiah, who was an Old Testament prophet, in Isaiah 25, when he talked about what's going on in the up there realm, he said it this way. He said, he said there is a covering over all of the earth that keeps people from seeing the glory of God. There's this spiritual realm in the up there. Or in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, in the same letter, do you remember what Paul says, tells his church? He says, this battle that we're engaged in as a church family, it's not against flesh and blood. He says, but it's against rulers and powers and authorities in what? In heavenly realms. He says that, do you realize that this struggle of life, it's not Republicans against Democrats, big spoiler alert, Or libertarians, I know some of you are there. It's not against male and female, Jew or Gentile, black or white, Christian or non-Christian. He says the battle that you find yourself engaged in is not a battle between person and person. He says it's a spiritual battle that there's this thing happening in the heavenly realms. And if you as a church don't see it, you miss it. You miss out on what it is that God is actually trying to do. Flip over real quick to Ephesians chapter 3. This verse will actually be on the screen too if you don't have a Bible. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. I want you to just listen to what Paul says. He said, It was God's intent that now through the church the manifold or the multidimensional wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly realms that he accomplished according to his internal purposes in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that is a big sentence. Let me explain this for just a minute. Do you know what Paul says? Paul says, when we become a we, like when we gather together in the name of Jesus Christ for the praise and worship and honor of Jesus Christ, he says, as we gather to worship Jesus, he says, look at this. The manifold wisdom of God is being made known to rulers, authorities in the heavenly realms. When's the last time you woke up on a Sunday morning and you put on your Sunday morning best skinny jeans and that deep V-neck shirt, whatever it is that you wear to ethos, and you came here on a Sunday morning dressed to the nines, and you thought, man, this morning as we gather to worship Jesus, God is making a statement in the cosmos. I want you to think about this for a minute. I know this is kind of big, lofty stuff, but this is, this is really important. He says, part of the good work of the church that we get to do together is we get to send out a battle cry every Sunday morning to spiritual authorities in heavenly places that Jesus Christ has won. I remember when I was in high school, our crosstown rival, they were much better at football than we were. In three of the four years that I was in high school, they won the state championship, which was, real, was a real painful moment for us in high school that we were always losing. And every time they'd win the state championship, they'd throw this huge celebration They'd have this block party, the pep rally. They'd reshow the game. Everyone would come out and watch it. And every time I would see those stupid people gathered to celebrate their high school team's victory, their gathering was a reminder of our defeat. And this is one of the things that we get to be a part of as a church. I know this is so lofty. But I want you to think about this in the context of community. That our presence together in the presence of Jesus Christ, is sending a statement to cosmic powers and beings that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he has been exalted above all things and that although the enemy is still at work in ways that are confusing at times, Jesus Christ is ultimately one and we know where history is headed. And that there's something about our gathering that is doing good work up there, but it's not just about the good work up there. It's also about the good work in here. Flip over real quick to Ephesians chapter 4. He's going to talk about the good work that happens in the midst of our community. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. You can throw this uh, scripture up on the screen real fast. He's talking to this group of Christians. He says, I want you to see what happens in your midst as you really do life and community together. In the first part of Ephesians 4, he's talking about all of the differences, the different gifts that they have. And he gets to verse 12 and he says, you have these different gifts To equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, listen, God has prepared some good work for you to do in heavenly realms, but he's also prepared some good work for you to do right here amongst one another. And He says, and the good work that we do right here amongst one another is that we actually help each other through our differences grow into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Do you realize that in the kingdom of God, our differences are not a flaw? We're not different accidentally. God made us different intentionally. Because he knew that our differences were not a demonstration of a design flaw. Our differences were a demonstration that God wanted us to experience as his fullness. So he says, as you come together... In all of these different places, your lives begin to intersect in such a way that the fullness of Jesus is manifest among you. Remember when I was a kid, one Christmas, second or third grade, I got this rock tumbler for Christmas. This may be the nerdiest Christmas gift that I've ever gotten. Did any of you ever get a rock tumbler? I'm just curious. You can own it. Yeah, it's kind of an embarrassing gift, wasn't it? Anyways, um, I got this rock tumbler that looked like a mini cement mixer. And it was a very simple thing. You would go outside and you'd just collect some normal rocks. You'd throw it into this little cement mixer. You'd put some powder and water. You'd put a top on it. And then you'd turn it on. And for 24 hours, it would just tumble itself. Just make that noise. Those rocks would tumble over and over and over. But this amazing thing would happen. After 24 or 48 hours, you'd go and you'd open up that little rock tumbler. And all of those jagged, filthy, dirty rocks that you'd put in the tumbler would now be smoothed and polished and beautiful. That as they bumped against one another over and over and over in the context of that mixture, in the context of that little space, they, be- they became way more beautiful than they ever would if they were sitting out in a field by themselves. And I think this is the essence of what Paul is talking about. He says, says, God has made you a community. And part of the work that that community does is up there in the cosmic realm. But part of the work that that community does is right here in the midst of the church. And as we come together in the presence of God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we find ourselves in this little rock tumbler called the church, as our jagged edges begin to bump up against one another, God is smoothing us out into the ways of Jesus so that we look more like Jesus. Have you ever had someone at church just drive you crazy? Say amen if someone at church has ever driven you crazy. Oh, you're lying now. Say amen if someone at church has ever driven you crazy. Amen, Amen, right? Do you realize that crazy person that's beside you is not a thorn in your flesh? It's God's gift to your life so that you can look more like Jesus. And if you don't know any crazy people, it's probably because you're the crazy person that someone's thinking about right now. And that there's this tendency in community to go, oh, the rough edges are so painful, I've got to get away. And he's saying, no, 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 no. This is how it's designed for the mission of God. That we come together in this place called the body of Christ. And we're turned over and over and over and over and over. And we become more beautiful together than we ever could on our own. It's the power of we. It's the power of being together. He says there's this work up there. There's this work in here, last one. And there's this work out there in the community. All throughout the scriptures, you get this picture over and over and over that the world is filled with people that don't know Jesus. You know this. You work with them. Some of you don't know Jesus, and you're here. We're so glad you're here. You have friends. You have family members. You have neighbors. You have coworkers who don't know the love of Jesus, and I love this because when the Bible talks about people that don't know Jesus, it never talks about them in a disparaging way. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, I love what Paul says. Paul says, at one time, we all were among them. At one time, we all lived that way. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned. Seriously, raise your hand if you've ever sinned. Like, we've all been there. We're all still there. And Paul says there's work to do out there in the city. It's not us against them. He says, but together as a community of faith, I love what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. You can throw this up on the screen. He says, as a community, this is part of the good work that we do. He says, so we get to be careful how we live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Paul says as you're living together in community with Jesus and one another, you're going to find yourself face-to-face with a variety of opportunities. Opportunities to reveal the mystery of God's amazing love for the sake of those that you're coming in contact with. I think one of the the most amazing ways to live on mission with Jesus is to simply invite our non-Christian friends into our Christian moments of community. Say, hey, just come do life. Because there's something about living with that sense of intentionality among those who don't yet know Jesus that points to the aroma and the beauty of who God is. And I love what Paul says, back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He says, think about this. He says, we, the people of God, have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. That there is something that we can do together that you can never do alone. He says, and when we come together, he says, we get to stick it to the devil We get to help each other grow up into the fullness of Jesus, and we get to show the world the beauty and the aroma of Christ in ways that you never do on your own. And Paul says, this way of living, you can admire it by yourself, but you can't experience it by yourself, only in the context of community. And I just want to challenge you this morning, you know, every week we we try to end very practically, very simply, because I don't want to just think about community, I want to go, how do we take a step in towards it? I want to to challenge us to think about where have we been tempted to live out a we-centered Christianity from a me-centered perspective? Where have you been tempted to take the, the communal teachings and the communal ways of Jesus and boil them down to an isolated way of Christian living and Christian experience? Uh, And so I'll just kind of give you two practical homework assignments as we get ready for communion, as we get ready to leave. Two words to kind of hang on to this morning. The first word is recognize, and the second word is replace. What do you do with, man, this big idea of cosmic powers and communal growth and manifesting the goodness of God into the city? How in the world do we do something practical with that? Two words, recognize and replace. And So here's the first question that I want to invite you to wrestle with this week. I want you to to get alone, maybe at lunch tomorrow, maybe at breakfast, maybe it's tonight after your kids go to sleep, to get alone and make some space to recognize, to make some space to recognize where you've been tempted to live out a me-centered Christianity. Where are you still living out a me-centered Christianity? And for a lot of us, this is so ingrained in us, we don't even know it. We're taught to do our daily quiet time, to have our daily prayers, to walk with you. That stuff's so good. I'm not telling you to get away from that. That's important. But a lot of us are never taught how to engage with other people in a spiritual way. Uh, I didn't ask Sydney if I could share this. I hope this is cool. I remember when um, Sydney and I got married, one of the things that she and I discovered in the context of our marriage is she and I knew how to do spirituality separately, but we didn't know how to do it together. And we didn't even know that really until we got married. But we realized all of our rhythms with Jesus were things that we knew how to do alone. And as we tried to do those together, it actually felt kind of weird for a while. Like, how do we live this out? And a lot of us are, are still there. There are some of us that have never really stopped to just think about how me-centered our version of Christianity is. As a kid, my favorite game to play was baseball. I remember sometimes in the summers... Uh, my my friends would be on vacation or they'd be out of the neighborhood and I wouldn't have anybody to play with and so I'd go into my backyard, I'd have a baseball bat and a ball and I'd throw it up and I'd hit the ball and then it's like, all right, now I get to go walk and get the ball and I'd, I'd walk and I'd get the ball and then I'd come back and I'd do it again and I'd do it again and one of the things that I discovered as a kid is baseball is a game that you can tolerate by yourself but it is only a game that you can enjoy with other people it's a team sport and I believe Christianity is the same way discipleship is the same way You can tolerate discipleship on your own, but you cannot flourish as a disciple of Jesus by yourself. You can survive as a disciple of Jesus on your own, but until we open up our lives into the context of community, we never really get to flourish and grow the way that God has made us. I just want to challenge you this week to sit down and go, okay, God, help me recognize where I have traded the we-centered rhythms of Christianity for me-centered faith and discipleship. Second thing that I want to challenge you to do this week. The first thing was about recognition. The second thing is about replacement. Second piece is I want to ask you to, just before the Lord this week, go, God, how can I replace some of those me centered rhythms with some we centered rhythms? I want you to hear me carefully. I'm not saying you replace all of your me centered rhythms, you need time with just you and the Lord. Don't go to the other extreme. But to really ask God, God, where do I replace some of my me-centered faith with we-centered faith? And I think this can get really practical. I see my wife do this so very well. Sydney, uh, you know, she's raising three little boys at home. Life is kind of crazy. And for her, communal discipleship can't be a program. It's just got to be something that operates in the context of everyday life. And so she's always just looking for ordinary moments to do life with other people. And so she could go to the grocery store by herself, or she could invite someone to come with her. She could go to the zoo with the boys by herself, or she could invite someone to come with her. She could go for a walk around the neighborhood by herself, or she could invite someone to come with her. And she's discovered over and over and over, whenever she replaces the me-centered moments of her life with we-centered opportunities of faith, she grows in Jesus in incredible ways see my buddy Chris over here Chris is one of my great friends and just a brother in the faith and what I love about Chris is Chris is always like Dave let's just do life together and so the other night I had to go run an errand it was like in the middle of the night I was like having to dump a bunch of firewood illegally I had nowhere to dump it I'm like who will help me do this illegally I'm like Chris will help me do that and so I had borrowed my friend Mark's truck Mark is over there I'd broken the window and the lights on it I'm sorry about that Mark trying to move this wood, and I go and pick up Chris, and Chris and I are driving with no headlights, fogged up windows, a broken window, trying to see, so dangerous, truck full of wood, and the whole time we're laughing and talking about Jesus and talking about marriage, and it's just one of those moments I went, I could have broken the law by myself. <laughs> or I could have broken the law with my Christian brothers. I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek here, but you're following me, right? Just a simple moment. When can we invite others? When can we replace me-centered living with we-centered living? Because it's there that Jesus is honored in the cosmos, in our midst, and even in our communities. For some of you, this is in moments of sin and brokenness. Think about one of my good friends who found himself in a moment of unbelievable sin and heartache this year. Uh, for a lot of us, it would have ruined our lives. And he and his family had a choice: do we, do we keep this to ourselves, do we fight this on our own, or do we bring community in? She said, let's bring our church in. Let's tell people, let's let's do this together. Or think about a woman in our church who has been praying for her workplace. She's like, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my workplace so bad. And for several months, she'd been showing up every Monday morning early at her work and praying over her workspace that God would do something. And there's no traction. It's just like all by herself. Nothing would happen. And then all of a sudden, she started asking the question, God, have you put any other Christians in this workspace? Like, are there any other believers here at work? And she thought, we're in Nashville. Of course there are other Christians at this workspace. And so all of a sudden, she went from viewing her office from the perspective of me to viewing her office through the perspective of we. And she started getting all of her coworkers that were Christians together once a week to just pray over the workspace and to serve together. And she began to discover That what she could never do alone, she did with great ease together. And Paul is saying, listen, God has prepared amazing things for us to do in the cosmos, in this room, and in our friend groups. But the things that he's made us for, we can't do on our own. We only do in the context of community. I don't know if you ever sit around and dream about this, but I'm always dreaming. God, God, what do you have for ethos? What's the future? And I believe The future of ethos cannot be discovered with 3,000 people that are running in their own direction, hoping that God will reveal to each of us individually the purpose for our lives. I believe the only way the future of our church family is really discovered is when we link arms together We say, Jesus, we want to do this with you, with the people that are next to us. So I want to invite you to stand. I'm just going to read this word of encouragement over us, and then we're going to take communion. And I just want you to repeat these words after me. We are God's handiwork. We are God's created in, Christ Jesus created in Christ Jesus. To to do good works. Do good works which God prepared in advance. Which God prepared in advance for us, to do together. for us to do together. I'm going to say it again. Let's have some fun when we say it. For we are God's for We are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus. To do, works, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance, for us to do together. May the grace and the love and the glory of Jesus be upon us. We're going to take communion together like we do every week. It's on the tables, it's on the bars, around the room. Let's take it in community. Let's share our lives together in community. I'll pray over someone go take it. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst this morning. God, would you knit our hearts together in Christ Jesus as we take the bread and as we take the cup and as we sing songs of worship and as we confess sin and pray, God, would you do what only you could do for your praise and your glory in the cosmos, in this room, and in our city. For the name of Jesus, amen.